0: Okay, good morning everyone. Come and grab your seats. All right, what we're going to be looking at today is um, the next part of our series in the Book of Ruth. But before we get back into that, let's talk about something else. Um, I don't know if anyone's here, anyone here a film fan? Anyone likes to watch movies and films? I'm a big film fan, I enjoy watching films. And I think one of the kind of the... One's I've enjoyed most over the years of my life, one of the kind of the greatest franchises in film history, is of course James Bond. Anyone here a James Bond fan? Now, depending on your generation, everyone has a famous, James, a favourite James Bond, don't they? There's been a bunch, and depending on kind of your age, often is who's your favourite. Is it Sean Connery, Roger Moore? Not so sure many people have George Lazenby as their favourite. Tim Dalton, maybe not. Then you have got the Pierce Brosnan, and then our current. Daniel Craig, yeah, there's a few of them, Tracy you're a little bit too excited about that you know, um, but is, is Daniel Craig going to come back for the last, the next one we don't know or who knows, yes he is apparently, oh well, but my favourite was always Pierce Brosnan because that was kind of the, when I sort of started watching them for myself, going to the cinema, so I enjoyed that, Golden Eye and those kind of films. So I love that. But if you think back to the original James Bond, the first film, which was, of course, Doctor No, Doctor no back in 1962, maybe? It was a while ago. But if you, th- if you remember it, um, it was all built up, the first James Bond film. If you look at the poster, his first film... Sean Connery ready to go and then you watch the famous, there's always an opening scene before the the titles, the famous music and then the story gets going but in the original one James Bond wasn't in it. He wasn't in the first bit. It had the three blind mice in Jamaica, the kind of the assassins who came in and they shot or killed the, the um, MI6 agent or it was, strange ways, and, and they stole something which kicked off the story. And you knew Jane, it's a James Bond film. It's all been built up. But we hadn't met him yet. We hadn't met the leading man. We hadn't met the main guy. And then the scene cuts after the credits and we get our first glimpse of James Bond. And if you remember how it begins, you don't actually see James Bond. You see his back. And he's playing at the card table. And I don't think it's blackjack or something, whatever they're playing. No fella bonk. You know, and they're playing the cards. And he's, there's a woman, beautiful woman, opposite. You think, you know where that's going. And she's playing James Bond and she keeps losing. She keeps losing. And she says her name. I think she was Sylvia Trench or something like that. That's her name. And she's the cat, And she says, well, what's your name? And then suddenly the camera pans around. And there's Sean Connery looking very suave and very young, actually. I'm very suave, and what does he say? The name's Bond, James Bond, and it becomes. And in the background, you have which then becomes famous. So that's kind of playing in the background, and it begins. And he's entered the story. It wasn't at the beginning, but he's suddenly in, and we know this is the guy's here. The story's going to get going. He's an important character, and what we're going to look at today is we go. And to the second part of our series on the book of Ruth is the leading man is now going to enter the story. We haven't heard anything about him yet. On the whole first chapter we looked at last time, he's not here, but he's now going to enter the story. And we got, we're going through the book of Ruth, our summer sermon series. If you've never read the book of Ruth, you'll find it nestled in your Old Testament. Very short book. It's only four chapters. You can read it easily in one sitting. And if you read it, you find it's a beautiful love story between a lady named Ruth who is the title character of the book, and a man named Boaz, who is an older gentleman to her, but actually turns out to be her love. And so you have this great love story that comes about in this. But actually it's more than just a love story between Ruth and Boaz. It's actually a divine love story we found out between God and his people. And how God is working through ordinary people and ordinary situations to advance his purposes and advance his promises, which he gave back way back to Abraham right in the beginning, the book of Genesis, that he would one day provide a saviour who would sort out all the mess of humankind, and we know that saviour to be Jesus, and he's building the line through. And by the time we get to the book of Ruth, the line has stopped because there's been tragedy and there's been death. And actually, how is God going to build this out? And we're seeing this through the story of the book of Ruth. And last week, we met the two female characters, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And how, that God, uh, how in their life, they met huge tragedy. Both their husbands died. They are in a foreign land. It was really bad for them. But then they've come back to the people of God, the people of Israel, the town of Bethlehem, just in time for the harvest. And God is setting up the situation, the scene, to advance his purposes and his kingdom to provide a savior for the world. So if you've got a Bible, if you go to the book of Ruth, uh, we're going to start beginning of chapter two. We did chapter one last week. If you missed it, you can go and catch up online. It's on our website. And so it should appear and I will read the the text for chapter two. Okay, here we go. Now, Naomi And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who's in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who's in charge of the reapers answers, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, "'Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers.' So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "'Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn.' Then she fell on her face, banged the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. All right, what we're we going to look at today, four quick things from that passage, and then we will apply it. We've got anticipation, initiative, entrance, and then we've got loving kindness at the end. Now, if you notice how that chapter begins, it begins with a bit of anticipation, a bit of setup. There's this chap called Boaz. We haven't met him yet. If you're reading through the story, you think, well, who's he? Why you suddenly entered him? Well, he's going to become important. And we find out he's part of the clan of Elimelech. Now, Elimelech was Naomi's husband. He appeared right at the beginning of the story, but unfortunately, tragically died. So he had a very brief part. I'm not even sure it was a speaking part. He came on, husband died. Very bad. But Boaz is from his clan, which will become significant later in the redemption of Ruth, that we'll find out as we go forth. But he wasn't just a kind of part of the relative clan. He was also described as a worthy man. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means worthy can mean he was was worthy in substance, i.e. he had some wealth. And if you kind of read the story, you realize actually those people were working for him in the fields. So he had wealth. He was obviously an owner of land and, and he employed people. So he was obviously a business owner of some description. But also he was a man worthy in character. So he wasn't just, he had money. He had worth of his character. He had substance of character, who he was. We might call that integrity. That's the kind of guy he was. He was a good guy. And so it sets up the story like this. It says, well, there's this man. We haven't met him, but he's, he's out there somewhere. And then we go back, if we carry on, you get the initiative, Ruth. Now, Ruth and Naomi's situation was dire. Naomi's husband had died. Ruth had married Naomi's son, but he had died. And they had died childless, it says. In the first chapter, and they were in a foreign land, the land of Moab, which was outside God's people. They did some really kind of dodgy practices, but Naomi decided to return to her people, kind of with nothing, empty, she said. And Ruth had decided to go with her, which on the surface was just a poor choice because she had no hope she had no future she had no way of provision her husband was dead she had no children it was just not good and neither did Naomi and Naomi actually says don't come with me there's nothing here go back to your family go back to your family find a home there find another husband there find provision there and she said no I'm going to come with you and she said she said that famous verse in verse 16 and 17 in the first chapter We said your God will be my God I'm going to follow you I'm going to find the God of Israel I'm going to be part of your people and where you die I will die and we might use that word she got converted she decided to follow the God of Israel follow Jesus that would be that's what it's ultimately pointing to she said I'm going to throw my entire lot in with you even though it looks hopeless so they're in Bethlehem which means house of bread and there had been a famine which is just ironic and then suddenly the harvest had come the back and they were back there at the beginning of the harvest but that still ended with the problem they didn't have any food so what is name? He said I'm going to go out and I'm going to glean among the ears of grain well what's gleaning? Gleaning is a provision in the Old Testament under the law to provide for the poor, which Naomi uh, and Ruth would fit in, and also to provide for the foreigner, which Naomi would fit in, because she wasn't even part of God's people. She was a foreigner. She was from over there, that other country. And so what would happen is when they, they reaped the fields and they cut the grain, the law stated you couldn't cut the corners of the field. So if this was our field, loads of grain, loads of harvest here, the corners had to be left. That was the law of God. You couldn't cut the corners, which meant that the poor could come and just take them. They'd have to work, they'd have to go get them, but it would be left uncut. And so they could work and get food for themselves as well. And it was provision by God and his people said, you will do that so everyone is provided for. Also, what happens when you're collecting up the grain and you're bundling it up, if any dropped to the ground, the law said you couldn't pick it up which meant the poor could then come behind and pick up all the bits that had sort of been missed which provide provision for them. And so that was in the law of God and it was obviously happening at the time here even though we found that it was not a spiritually great place uh, in this period of Israel's history. And, she's, and Naomi, Ruth, Naomi obviously told Ruth, Ruth was young, said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to collect. I'm going to go to the fields and I'm going to do that so we can have some food to eat or we'll starve. So she goes out and she does it. And then look at verse 3. We're going to come back to this. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. We talked about one of the themes of this book is the providence of God, which means God's hand working through people and situations. Often in the Bible we have showy bits, miracles, dramatic, angelic visitations, wow things that happen. We had the story of what Zach and Sarah said, wow. Sometimes it's boring, ordinary, and mundane. And God just works. And that's what this is. It says here, Ruth happened, underline that word happened, to come to the field um, Boaz owned. And we now, so the, the author's already set up, there's this guy Boaz, he's a good guy. And Ruth, out of all the fields she could have gone to around Bethlehem, she came to the one that was owned by Boaz of the clan of Inland. And she starts to work, she starts to to kind of get there you can see the hand of God starting to work in this situation they've been brought back from Bethlehem it's time for the harvest she's now gone into a field and guess what it's Boaz's field she had no idea and then we'll look at verse 4 what happens the big entrance the name's Boaz I can't say James Boaz who knows how does it begin in my translation it says and behold what that means is the Bible translator trying to get a word from the Hebrew into the English there's a sudden dun 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 Dun, 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 dun. Boaz enters. So you can imagine all the workers working, and there's people gleaning, and the guys are reaping, and the girls are reaping, and they're, they're doing their job, and the boss arrives. You ever had that one, you know, in your, when you're working, you know, the boss is coming. What does everyone say? Look busy, look busy. Well, the boss has arrived. Boaz has turned up. He's come to his field. And we've already found out he's a man of worthy character. He's of substance. And it's displayed. How does he greet the people in the field? What does he say? The Lord be with you it's evidence of actually what has already been said by the narrator actually yeah this man is a good guy a godly man he says the Lord be with you and they reply the Lord bless you too his workers and he's come in charge and he's looking and seeing what's happening in the field overseeing his work make sure it's all kind of working according to plan and he notices there's someone in the field who doesn't be there he's not kind of part of his crew his team there's an extra who's this other person in the field well, this is the woman Ruth. Look how they refer to her. She's the Moabite. Remember, she's the foreigner. She's from the other land, and it's at pains to recognize this. She's an outcast from the people of God. She's not an ethnic Jew. She's an outsider. She's a foreigner. Yet she's here. She's followed Naomi back, and she's working hard in the field tirelessly. And she said, who's this? Well, this is Ruth. She's calm, and she's working there back in the field she's the one with who's with Naomi and now if we remember the end of the last chapter word got around when Naomi came back she wasn't in a good shape she was happy she changed her name from Naomi which means pleasant to Mara which means bitter because of what's the tragedy that's hit her life and so word had got round, and she's also brought this young woman in tow who's a foreigner she's brought a foreigner a refugee to our town and so the word had got round. they said this is this is Ruth and she's working in the field. She's the one with Nami. But what do they say about it? Interestingly, she's asked to come to glean in a, in, a, in a accordance with the law. And she says she's continued from early until uh, so early morning until now, except for a short day. So she's worked tirelessly. She is a woman who's worked hard. Any women here know how to work hard? Yeah. Know how to work hard. She's one of those. She's a woman of character. She's with initiative. I'm going to go out and do it. And she's given herself to me. Her. She's not expecting. It's a 4 lap. She's gone out and she's worked hard. And it's been noticed by those around her. It's noticed by the around the, the other workers saying, "Man, this girl's been this girl's been at it. She hasn't given up. She hasn't expected anything. She's she's gone and she's working." And now Ruth no, uh, Boas has noted, "Who's that other girl that's come out in the field?" And it says, "And then the last thing here, we get to the loving kindness." In the book of Ruth, we said that the last week when we were looking at the themes, there's this theme that runs through the book called the, the loving kindness of God. Um, and it's the Hebrew word hesed. It appears three times in the book, uh, verse 8 in chapter 1, verse 20 in chapter 2, and then also again in chapter 3. And it's a theme that runs through the whole Old Testament. It appears over like 250 times in the Old Testament, this word hesed. And it's used often to describe the character of God, his love, his mercy, his passion, his grace. His patience, all that, and we don't have a decent translation in English, so they often the translators just use loving kindness as kind of the best sum up, but it's so much broader than that. And what we find here is, in the book of Ruth, what's interesting about the way hesed is used, it's used to describe people, when often it's used to describe God, and it's used to describe people who display God's attributes and God's character. So often it describes God. God displays loving kindness. We know that. We sing about that. That's it. But actually, His people who follow Him, who are conformed to His likeness, also display it. And we see it here in Ro- in Boaz on how he deals with Ruth. And He sees so her. He's obviously heard about her. Words got round. This is Ruth come back with Naomi. And what does he to say to her? In this in her field. He says, "Don't go anywhere else. Stay in this field. Keep working. Stay close to my other female workers." So there's protection. Bear in mind this was a spiritually bankrupt time in the period of Israel. Morally bankrupt, you know, young woman on her own. Bad things could happen to her when she's out working in distant fields and things like that. There would be unscrupulous individuals who would take advantage of her. He said, don't worry about any harassment from my guys. I've already speak to them. They'll look after you. You can go and drink whenever you want from the water that they will have drawn. they will about to go to the well. They're about to bring the water. They'll have to bring it back. You just go and drink, you get what you need, and you can carry on working. He displays such grace and love to her. And this is also to a woman who was younger than him, because he describes her as a young woman. So there's barriers there. She's also an unmarried woman, or she's a widower, widow, but also she's a foreigner, yet Boaz looks beyond all of that. And says, actually, I'm just going to show love and grace and tenderness and mercy to you. As someone who is vulnerable, who is someone who is poor, who is someone who is an outcast, who is someone who is is a foreigner, I'm just going to show love and mercy to her. He was obviously impressed with what she had done in following Naomi back. Because what she'd done was such a huge thing and leaving her town, leaving her people, leaving her family, coming back with Naomi to a, a strange pace. And again, it, it underlines how he was described in the beginning as a worthy man, a man of substance and a man of character. Ruth, um, Boaz also prays on her behalf. He says, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. That is a fascinating prayer if you know the whole story of Ruth. We said one of the other themes, there were three things, providence of God, the loving, um, loving kindness and also answered prayer is a theme of Ruth. All the prayers that are prayed are answered and all the prayers are prayed are prayed on behalf of others. Boaz has prayed for Ruth that the Lord would repay her. What's been taken from her in the story? Her husband and a bloke is saying, the Lord repay you. What happens to Boaz? He's the, he's the answer to his own prayer, be careful what you pray. He's the answer to our own prayer. We read the story, but we, don't, we won't get into that yet, but that's coming. But he said, Lord, prepare you for you. You've stuck by an army. You are, you are a woman of worthy character. And he's prayed that the Lord would bless her for that. And we know by the end of the story, he's the answer to his own prayer. I wonder if they laughed about that after the wedding day um, and all that. But he said, you know, you stay with her. And then he uses this wonderful image where it says, um, Full reward be given you by the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. The image there is of a mother bird, a mother bird who is protecting her chicks. And if you've ever seen it, sometimes I've seen chickens where they gather them under their wings to protect them. And I don't know if you've ever seen the image you've got a, a hen, and you just got sticking out under the wings are the little faces of the chicks when they're really small. And they sometimes go around sort of the farmyard, something spooks them. You know, someone walks past and they run to Mama, and they go under the wings and check out if everything's safe. And he's basically saying, "What you've done, Ruth, is you've you've been like that with God. You have run to God for protection, not to the world, not to your own abilities, not to what you can do, not to your skills, your job, your money. You've run to God, and we've seen that. That's what she's done. She forsakes." everything and she ran to God and she seeked God for protection he's saying the Lord repay you and the Lord is doing it already she's come to a field run by a worthy man she can get food for her and Naomi and, and he has shown her great favor in that time and Ruth responds with appropriate thankfulness saying I found favor in your eyes my Lord you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant although I am not one of her servants she is bowled over by his grace and mercy she deserved none of that She didn't deserve it. Boaz went way beyond what he ever needed to do. I mean, the law says you can gather the food from the corners of the field. He could have said, fine, you can do that. Don't expect to come along with my guys for protection. Don't expect them to provide you with water on a hot day and working like that. But actually his love and grace and tenderness and mercy went way beyond it. And to someone who was a foreigner and shouldn't really have been showed favor um, in that day, maybe not in ours, when you think about the outsider, we don't particularly like them coming to our shores, all these kind of attitudes you see. No, he was complete opposite of that. Okay. Okay. That's the story so far. We'll leave that. We'll pick up more of that next week. Let's look at two things. I want to um, apply it to us and see how we can make use of this um, before we leave today. The first one is the guiding hand of God. This whole theme of the providence of God which runs through um, the book of Ruth, how the Lord works through ordinary circumstance. And it's summed up in that verse 3. Ruth just happened to go into the field of Boaz. There must have been numerous fields around the town of Bethlehem, all over the place, far and wide. Which one does she pick? Which one does she go through? She just goes to that one. And it's further evidence of what God has been doing. Because if you think about the story so far, Naomi just happens to go to Moab with her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons. One of their sons just happens to marry Ruth. When after they've died, Naomi, it says in chapter one, just happened to hear that the the, the famine had ended in Bethlehem, that they were going to go back to that. They just happened to return at the time of the barley harvest starting which was the first harvest of the year there were multiple harvests so they'd basically come back at the best time to work all the way through the harvest season and gather food for when there was a fallow time in the rest of the year so they just happened to do that Ruth just happened to think right I need to go out I need to work where am I going to go where am I going to get food for us I'll go to that field over there which just happened to be Boaz's field and the great the biblical truth that runs throughout the Old Testament throughout the New Testament is number one God is sovereign which means he's ruling over everything and all situations and the other one that he is gracious and kind and good and God is using ordinary situations ordinary people ordinary circumstances to advance his kingdom and his purposes and Ruth is just evidence of that that she's just working it out and it'll ultimately work out for her good and God's glory as we read the end of the story. But the providence and the hand of God is working in our lives. And so, I don't know why you, why you think you're here today. Why are you here today? Because I come to church, because there's a Thanksgiving and I've been dragged here because I had nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. But the point is, the reason you're here is because the hand of God has brought you here this day. You just happened to be in real life church this morning and you just happened to hear an absolutely outstanding preacher who just happened to be preaching a message on Ruth chapter two to you? God's hand is on life. I think if I reflect on my story about things the world tends to call it coincidence, but actually the Bible calls it the sovereign hand of God on your life. Me, I went um, when, when I finished um, college. If we pick up there Sixth Form College down in Sussex, um, where I was going to apply to go to university and I applied to go to a couple of universities. I actually ironically failed my um, A-levels first time around, quite spectacularly, actually. I mean, you don't just fail. When you fail, fail big. So I failed big, which meant I had to do an extra year at college to do my A-levels. And at that point, I had to rethink about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I started applying to colleges to become a teacher. The grades were really low that they wanted, um, which also worked well in my favor. And I just happened to get accepted by the University of the West of England in Bristol, so I ended up going to... University in Bristol while I was in Bristol and I was there and I just happened to be at the college uh, with all the other teachers um, in the north city called Redland I met a young lady named Wendy who was part of the Christian union there and I just met her and she challenged me about my faith and actually how I was living suddenly realised actually I really wasn't I was just a, a legalist legalist kind of Pharisee character I was just trying to do the right thing and not actually following Jesus for myself she challenged me on that I became a Christian she challenged me then on baptism because I'd never been baptised been christened as a baby not my choice so i got baptized in water by the end of my four years of training i decided you know what i didn't want to be a teacher i was going to take a year out what do i do my brother interestingly just so happened to have gone through a similar experience to me up at university and he was in crew he invited me with his church to go to some of these kind of bible camps they have during the summer and his church has happened to be going to that he says would you want to come with us Love to go with you. Went to this Bible camp this the summer, had a great time. Found about this year out project they run that I just happened to apply for. Um, they said, we'll come to the interview now at the camp because you're too late to apply for it. I just happened to meet a couple from a church in the town called St. Nears. Can we have an amen for St. Niers down here? There you go. I just happened to go to this town I'd never heard of. I went there. I spent a year out uh, working in the youth work in that town, serving the church, voluntary here. As part of that, I just happened to go on some training that they sent you on where I met a young lady named Melanie, and she just happened to meet me. So I just happened to meet Melanie. After that, we stayed on in St. Nears. We got married. We started working there. We worked for the church there. Um, and life carried on. Then it got to a point where we realized we needed to move on. We felt God was saying it's time to leave. Um, St. Neons and everything that was happening there, but we were both working for the church, and we thought there's no way we can move on and go and work for a church where they're going to provide us with two salaries. It just doesn't work like that. Churches aren't big, they don't have that option. But we just happened to meet a man who we'd known from the past who led a church in a town called Bishop Stortford. Can we have amen for Bishop Stortford here? <laughs> who offered us both jobs. So we just happened to go and work there where we met a bunch of wonderful, beautiful people. When God said, okay, you need to move to Sutton Coalfield and start a church, they just happened to want to come with us. Which brings us here today. And I don't know what you think about that, but if you're not a believer here, you're not a follower of Jesus and you might think, eh, coincidence, fate, whatever, chance, life just happens. I want to tell you the truth. God brought you here today. God brought you here to listen to me. It's not chance you're sitting in here. It's part of a sovereign God who loves you and wants you to hear the good news of Jesus. And that's why I'm telling it to you today. There's no, there's no kind of uncertainty about that. He loves you. He wants to know you. He wants you to follow him all the days of his life because he thinks that's the best thing for you. He died on a cross in your place for your sin, for all the things you've done wrong, all the things you know they are, all the secret things in your life, all the public things. He loves you and he is for you. If you're a believer here, I don't know if you ever sat and reflected back on your life and what God's done. It's a good exercise to do. Maybe you want to try it this week. Actually reflect what, what it means for you being here today, right now. How God brought you here through the good times and the bad times. How he's worked them out. We saw that last week. That even in the pain and the suffering and the affliction of life, God is working and moving things forward. And he is building his kingdom and he is advancing his purposes. And if you're going through tough times and difficulties and and, you know, those kind of impossible moments that Zach and Sarah shared about and just other things in life I want you to remember the loving kindness of God because that loving kindness of God that said of God is towards us all God loves you God is good God is, is for you and even in the dark and bitter times there's something to focus on something to hold on to something to say God's loving kindness is towards me because I am in Christ as a believer and God loves the Son God Lord loves Jesus and, and so we are recipients of that not because we're good not because we've earned it not because we come to church or we read our Bible or we think we might be better we've got it just because God has chosen to put that on us just like with Boaz and Ruth Boaz just chose to just bless her and honor her not because she was any better than anyone else but he just showed, chose to demonstrate that for us second one, last one God's heart for the poor. God's heart for the poor. The first five books of the Bible, often referred to as the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, collectively referred to as the law. But if you read them, there's narrative, but there's specific law. And you had the law of the people of Israel. You had the moral law, often called the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. That was a moral law. You also had the ceremonial law, governing sacrifices and temples. And you have also the judicial kind of law, the governing of the, the nation, If you go into them, we often find those bits quite dull and boring and hard work, but actually if you read them and you read them with the eyes of what is God saying to the poor, the outcast, the foreigner, God's heart for the poor is all over those texts. Often we look back at the Old Testament and think, well, that's the miserable, boring old God before we got to Jesus, which could not be further from the truth. The love, the grace, the compassion of God is embedded all the way through Scripture right back at the beginning, right back in the law. If you read the law, you find out about the laws of gleaning, just as one example, which we've seen today, and it's demonstrated in the book of Ruth. But there are other specific laws. There were specific laws in Deuteronomy for taking care of the poor, for honoring them, the widows, the orphans. Those who are foreigners, those who'd come into the nation from outside, who may be fleeing famine or whatever, or just trying to find out about the people of God, whatever it was. there's specific support for the tithe, when they, the people used to tithe tenths of their, their kind of produce to the temple to pay for the priests to run the temple and the tabernacle, there were specifics in there that some of the tithe then was used to support of the poor. For these people who didn't have anything, some of that tithe was used to provide for those who had nothing. Even in terms of the sacrifice, there were certain times a year when the people of God had to go to certain places and sacrifice certain things as part of kind of staying in good relationship with God. Thankfully, we don't have to do that now because we have Jesus who was the sacrifice once for all. But back then, all these sacrifices were pointing towards something. But there was even provision then that if you couldn't afford the sacrifices, there were provisions for you. That's if you can't afford that, you can sacrifice this. And if you can't afford that, you can sacrifice this. And even then, there was built into the law a way of caring for people. Caring for the poor. There was protection against people being in bonded in debt that would become year on year or life, a lifetime of indebted servitude. There was laws that say actually you can't do that, and it was building. You cannot take advantage of people like that and rack up debts that they just destroy them. There was every seven years there was a, a cancellation of debts, a freedom. No one could be in servitude for those that long. That was all there. And also there was provision for people who could buy you out of debt, blood relatives and other things. They could redeem you. There's even laws on how you could deal with the land. Actually, you had a field, and you used it every seventh year. You had to leave it, You had to just leave it for the poor to come completely. You couldn't take any of it. That was part of the provision, God's provision, to care and provide for people. And for us as a church, we need to show that. We need to be people who love and care for the poor around us. That it's not just about us and making sure we care for us, which is obviously important, but actually it's caring for those outside of, those who are caring for the broken, needy. And we can look at our town, quite a nice town, quite a sort-of town. People like to live in this town. Um, it's a, you know, an affluent suburban area, but actually the poor are right here with us. We serve with a food bank here. Every week, we ask people to contribute to the food bank. It's run in one of the local churches in town, the URC. We partner with them and say, we want to help you. We want to stand alongside you, serving people who come and just, who just don't have food. And some stats from last year, this will be different for this year, but they served, I think it was something like 647 people last year. 182 of them were children. They, they averaged four visits per session, which in 20, this year has now gone up to eight visits eight visitors per session that the food banks open who get bags of shopping provide where do these people where does this come from a whole no, you've got people who are just homeless we have the homeless in this town there's people who are um, who have benefits frozen with all the ups and downs with benefits they, they, they live they get a provision but if something happens something goes up there's a, a snafu with the admin or whatever or reassessment they literally can get frozen and it will not come back for six weeks and with six weeks home they might get all their money back But they've got nothing at the moment right now. How are they going to feed themselves? You've got people who face life situations, suddenly a loss of job, a loss of partner, and everything's yanked out from underneath them. And they've got no way of providing for themselves. You've got people who come in who have additional special needs and they might have had carers, parents, but the parents have grown old and died and they still have the same additional needs and they, they, they have trouble kind of looking after themselves and budgeting and managing the money. And that's right here in our town. And these people... And sometimes we can shout at the government and say, sort it out. And yeah, they have a role to play, but that's not the only response. The response is the people of God need to stand up and say, we're going to care for the poor. Where there's a gap, we're going to stand in it. And we have a fabulous system in this country. The welfare state is just an incredible blessing to us. But at the same time, with austerity and just the way the economics are going, the church needs to stand the gap. And we need to love and care for people because we have a mandate from God to do that. Not because it's just like we think it's good or right or someone's telling us. Our Lord and our creator who saved us is asking us to care and serve those around us. I know that the the URC church where the food bank is run, um, they have a professional uh, kitchen where they serve food. Anyone who comes into the food bank just gets a free meal as well. Come in, we feed you. Just go, you get food. We're going to give you food. And as a church, we respond to that. What we started donating as a church is 200 pound a month directly to the URC, URC to cover their costs on feeding people. And we're going to do that to the end of the financial year in December. Then we'll review it and actually how we do it. Now, that comes from our funds, so that comes from you. So thank you for all those who give faithfully to us. But we are, we are playing our part in that. But our other thing is we need regular donations every week. My family putting stuff every week in the shopping that just goes to those. who ever gave day, thank you so much. But as a church, as a body, we want to be doing this regularly. The need is huge. And regularly they're saying, we just need more donations just to serve people because it's out there. Don't live in a kind of denial where it's not there. It's there and it's real. And we as a church, the people of God would love to respond to that. So I just submit that to you. God loves the poor. God has a special place in his heart for the outcasts and those who are kind of on the fringe. And actually us as the people of God need to respond to that in three weeks' time, two weeks' time, Maybe three weeks' time. 30th of July, we're going to have an offering here which will go to our network of churches um, and that will go to serving the poor around the world, helping churches. You've got feeding programs, helping churches in the UK. One, we watched the video last week where they're serving in Leeds in the Red Light District and just serving people and loving them and caring for them and showing them the love of Jesus. So if you haven't been thinking about that, Please be thinking about that and be in prayer for that. I start the video, I think, on the email this week, so you can rewatch that if you missed that. We had Andy Martin two weeks ago who shared some of those stories and real people on what's going on. I also say, as a church, we actually give a tenth of our income. Everything we get, a tenth of that goes out straight off the bat, which goes to our network of churches to serve the poor, kind of, and the needy, and plant churches around the world. So we're giving as a church, but we're actually we're taking a special offering to say, come on. Let's serve and give these people. All right, we're going to finish there. Do you want to stand? I'm just going to pray. And then can the band come up and we'll just sing a bit to finish? Maybe you just want to close your eyes. I forgot to say, and I should say now, we've got some people of art here in the church who actually serve at the food bank. I know Jax does, Phillips does, Fliss does, as B just started... I think there's a bunch of guys who go and give their time as well as kind of giving financially um, to it. But actually, we've got guys who want to help. So if you know them and you want to get involved, please talk to one of them as well and be practical help on the ground as they serve people, not just with food, but just like getting them advice, getting them connected with benefits, making phone calls from them. It's the whole kind of we want to treat everything and love them the best we can. But let's just pray. Close our eyes. Lord God, I want to thank you that you brought each of us here today. We may not have thought about it when we woke up this morning or even cared. But God, you brought us here today just to happen to hear this message. And Lord God, we thank you for your loving kindness on our life. Especially when we don't even see it. Especially when we don't even know about it. Especially when we don't even recognize it. Your grace and your love is towards us always. And I thank you for that. Even when we actively reject you and say we're not interested, God, you love us and you are for us. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I ask you to give us eyes of faith to see your hand at work, to recognize your goodness in our life, and recognize how we've been brought here, how you've worked in us through the good and the bad times and you know the things we've gone through. Lord God, and as your people, Lord, as we respond to what you're saying about serving and loving the poor, the outcast, the foreigner, those on the edge, Lord, I ask you to give us grace as a people to respond to that to remember your heart we're not doing this for us we're doing it because that's your heart the Bible says we were all poor before God spiritually we were far from him we had nothing we had no righteousness of our own we had nothing we could offer to him yet he saved us and in response to that he's saying you go serve love others So Lord, we ask you to lead us in that. We ask you to give us grace to welcome and care for those people. Not because we feel superior or righteous, just because we know where we've come from. And we know what you've done. And we know how that you were rich, you became poor when you came to the earth and lived as a man. You gave up everything for us. And Lord, for us to love and give and share and serve and and bring that on, is just a natural response to your goodness. And we love you and praise you and God's people said, Amen. Amen.